Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Beijing. First, a look at the week's news. China's local governments are short on funds this year. Falling government revenue growth for 2019 has left local governments looking at all manner of solutions to plug gaps in their budgets, including tapping rainy day funds and leftover budget surpluses, as well as slashing spending on travel, official banquets, and even some proposed social welfare programs. The Budgetary Juggling Act raises questions about the ability of local governments to balance Beijing's competing policy goals of keeping their debts in check while stimulating an ever-slowing economy. Because growth in China's GDP is expected to slow this year, policymakers have pledged to cut taxes and fees by nearly $300 billion to boost the economy, in part by reducing tax and fee burdens on businesses. However, the pledge leaves China's local governments in something of a lurch, as they have had to bear about half the costs of such cuts. The result is likely to be tough times at many local levels. After decades of what some have called an outdated framework, China has just passed a sweeping new foreign investment law. Ostensibly, the law will improve the openness, transparency, and predictability of the investment environment for foreigners, establish equal treatment for all investors, and address concerns of foreign investors around technology transfers, a focal point of trade tensions with the United States. Another notable element includes applying the so-called negative list nationwide. The list specifies which industries or activities foreign businesses are unable to operate in. Before the new law, the negative list had not been implemented uniformly across the country. Who's winning the trade war? Some might say the winner is Vietnam. The Southeast Asian country has benefited as multinationals have accelerated, moving their production out of China amid the trade war with the U.S. Investors from the U.S., South Korea, and Japan, for example, have started to move their factories from China to its less costly neighbor, the chairman of Vietnam's Association of Foreign Invested Enterprises told Caixin. Meanwhile, China has been pumping investment into Vietnam as part of its Belt and Road Initiative, with a total registered investment in Vietnam of $12 billion as of 2018. 
The World Anti-Doping Agency is reopening a case that cleared Chinese swimmer Sun Yang, a three-time Olympic champion, of wrongdoing after he destroyed a doping control sample in September. As one report said, Sun was, quote, party to smashing a container of his blood with a hammer last year, close quote. The swimming star was initially let off with a series of warnings from the International Swimming Authority, but Swin could face a lifetime ban if the International Court of Arbitration for Sport finds that he broke official rules. Swin, one of the world's preeminent professional swimmers, was previously suspended in 2014 for taking a stimulant. A private school in Chengdu has dropped its food supplier in response to a scandal in which its students were served spoiled cafeteria food. Last week, Photos of moldy and rotten food began circulating among parents of students at Chengdu No. 7 High School, causing outrage. The following day, many parents entered the cafeteria's storeroom and took more pictures of spoiled ingredients, which they posted online. Chinese parents have grown increasingly worried about the safety of their children following a series of scandals involving baby formula and, more recently, vaccines. Along with an apology, the school said the district's education bureau would take over handling school meals during a transition period and that a long-term food safety mechanism would be formed and it would involve parents. Two parents told Caixin that they had seen staff removing food from the warehouse recently, which parents suspect was an attempt to get rid of the putrefied products and destroy evidence. China has become a net importer of several rare earth elements last year for the first time since 1985, a trend that may continue as the government reduces mining. China accounts for more than 90% of the world's supply of so-called rare earth elements, which are 17 chemically similar elements that are used in products from electric vehicles to wind turbines to smartphones. As the elements are also used in the defense industry, China imposes tight restrictions on their exports. China's domestic rare earth output declined in 2018 amid a crackdown on illegal mining. The country's illegal production fell by 50% last year, creating a vacuum that was filled by record imports from Myanmar and the United States. China revised its economic growth data for 2017, down. Was the move calculated to make China's 2018 growth data look better? A statistics official says no. Suspicions about falsification in China's GDP data spread after the country in January revised its growth for 2017 to 6.8%, slightly down from the previously published 6.9%. A spokesman for the National Bureau of Statistics said the revision was in line with international practices. Last year, China's economic growth weakened amid a debt-cutting campaign and the trade war with the U.S., driving its growth to the lowest since 1990. Increasing demand and uncertain supply may imperil the source of the water that Beijing receives from the south of the country. The capital has become over-reliant on water diverted from the Danjiangkou Reservoir, which is part of the Yangtze River system in Hubei province. The so-called South-to-North Water Diversion Project consists of three man-made networks of tunnels and canals that divert water from the southern tributaries of the Yangtze River to China's dry north. The project was designed to provide supplementary water for daily use, but Beijing and Tianjin have grown too dependent on the water coming up through the 800 miles of canals. 
Currently, 70% of Beijing's water prepared for daily use comes from the diversion project, greatly reducing the amount of water in the Danjiangkou Reservoir. While the greater reliance on supplementary water has slowed the depletion of already low underground water sources in the area, exhaustion of the reservoir could have serious consequences for cities that rely on the diverted water. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn, as we do each week, to some of Caixin Global's reporters. Today, we're chatting with Caixin Global reporter Zhao Ruohua about a television show that sparked a lot of conversation online about social issues. Uh, Ruohua, give us a super basic summary about the show and its subject matter. So the show is called All Is Well, 都挺好, but very strangely, the show is actually about something that is totally not well. This conversation is actually as you mentioned, it's actually not new in China. It has been a kind of legacy in Chinese family relations and also kinship structure. So basically, it's about a very ordinary family in China, behind the very glorious facade of a family. There are actually many you know, hidden reasons that some Chinese people did not share with others. And this show actually brings all those you know, turbulences beneath the surface to you know, people's attention. That's why it's very popular. So basically, there are some very interesting characters in the show. And those characters, they actually aggregates of Chinese family problems. Say, one major character is actually the mom, who's actually the center of the family problem. She had a very sad childhood because she was a girl of the family. And unfortunately, that family didn't want ago, which can be very common, you know, gender, you know, problems in China and also some other developing countries. So she failed to get attention from her parents and she failed to live a life that she dreamed. So she wanted to get everything back from her children. Then she married a person who was actually a very ordinary man working in the library. So sadly, she felt like all the burden was on her own. She had to raise her children as very successful people. I believe you've heard this kind of you know stories about Chinese families for thousands of times, but this time, unfortunately, the tragedy repeats. So she turned one of her sons as um, an honor earner. So like an earner of the honor. Yes. Gotcha. So tell us a little more about what that exactly means. So many people know that Chinese people have a kind of you know very unhealthy obsession with the reputation of schools and the positions. So the mom you know managed to send her son to Stanford. And she even sold her apartment to pay for this son's tuition fees. But very sadly, the son didn't really realize that that money was actually from her mom's you know, very hard working experience. So he took everything for granted and thought it was okay because he knew very clearly about his position in the family. As long as he could bring glory and success or you know, very beautiful stories to the family and, and everything and all resources would be you know, brought to him as a kind of you know, compulsory material. So this is one sad case in the family. So that was the first son. Mm-hmm. What about the second son? So the second son um, has been turned into the family's um, acknowledgement giver. So 
we know the mom's very sad past and she wanted to get something back emotionally from her current family. So she wanted this son to give her compliments, to give her acknowledgement and very close emotional needs. So this son's function in this family is actually an acknowledgement giver. So he compliments frequently and in return, he could get all money and attention he wanted. And then I think the most controversial and most interesting part is about the only girl in the family because she could be a perfect portrait or reflection of her mom's own destiny. But a very sad fact is her mom didn't really learn from her own experience and tragedy. So she neglected that girl and provided actually very little help when she was in desperate needs, either for attention or material support. So that girl felt very unhappy with her situation and she tried to escape from the family and to be very distant from her parents. And finally, a very good result is that she grew up as a very independent woman. But this also caused a problem. So she finds it very hard to commit. So either in a relationship or common relationship with ordinary people. So this show is very famous and popular in China now because as you can see from the story, it's actually a kind of reflection of China's social issues. And that show talks about bad things of some Chinese families. And most importantly, it talks about people's struggles inside these families. Because basically when you talk to people in China, you know, as a kind of you know social norm, people don't really want to show the bad sides of the family. So they pretend to be good that's why all is well but behind these glories and you'll see struggles and tortures and everything so so what does this tell us about the way that within a chinese family in this time of massive fast-paced change and generational divides uh people the way people love they, they hate fight care this is a very complicated question because you know children parents relationships across the globe can be very complicated. It differs from countries to countries and also differs from families to families. But I would say yes, well, basically Chinese parents or parents particularly in some Confucius influenced countries, they very often see themselves as the guide to their children's future. They feel like they have a kind of authority in the family and they also have a very strong sense of responsibility to help their children build their own path to success. So I feel like this is kind of like a premise of their role as parents, which is actually embedded in this country's culture. You cannot blame that because it is said that it's from love, which we cannot really deny. But this kind of thing can be pressure and burden to those children. Because as you can see, the children, when they were very young, they were actually innocent. They knew nothing about this world. So they learned about the world from their parents. So there's something which could be called as emotional reciprocity. So when they feel things from their parents, they start to learn about the parents' needs and they figure out how they can live and survive in this family. And also they figure out their relationship with this world. So when they see a very needy mom, when they feel like they can only compliment the mom or can only do what the parents order them to do to get things back, they would develop a pattern to do these kind of things as habit. 
And then this will influence their ways when they interact with the outside world. So I could say this is very complicated, but it's not just a problem that is from parents or family. Because you know in China sometimes if you do not get a very good reputation, if you're not graduated from a very good school, and it might be very hard for you to find a job or even earn a living with a proper dignity. So I suppose it's actually a combined result of different factors. But this play does raise many, you know, behind the glory facade issues to people's attention. So people are becoming more aware of these problems because it's good that people are debating and discussing these kind of issues in public. Um, I cannot say public sphere, but, you know, on Weibo, Chinese internet, or here, you know, when we're doing this podcast and international audiences can join the debate. So people know there is actually a channel for them to tell their own needs and opinions. As I wrote in this post, there were actually also psychologists who advocated that the tragic legacy passed down by previous generations can only be resolved if one generation can be aware of the harm and refuse to sacrifice others' lives in order to heal their own wounds. It is not easy, but we hope we will be that generation. So people always aware of this kind of situation, but it's very hard to not sacrifice your children's lives to heal your own wounds because sometimes their fates and their lives are intertwined with your own. When you are in this kind of very emotional relationship, it's very hard for you to be completely rational. It's very hard for you to give up your you know, desire and your pain to really think about themselves and give them freedom to live their own lives. So it's very complicated. I have to apologize that I can't really give you very detailed explanation of this relationship because this show has really rich content and every character in that show actually combines some very sophisticated characters in China. So that's why people here in China, they find this show very reflective. They see things in their daily lives or around their lives in this show. So basically, people of my age and even people in their 70s are all watching this show because they want to know how people in the shows are dealing with situations. They want to know, they really want to talk about this kind of issue, which is often seen as embarrassing or even shameful to talk about in public life. So yeah, it can be very complicated. Ruha, that's fascinating. And now I'm definitely going to watch this show. Uh, and I'm sure that my wife knows how to find it online here in the US. Let's get you back on again as the plot progresses, perhaps after season one. And uh, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you, Kaiser. Thank you. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SupChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca network. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.